lots of lousy businesses. And there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job over the years has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio. From the AM640 studios in Toronto. With Hi-Fi portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Good morning, Toronto. Hi-Fi Radio on AM 640. You've been listening to Loving You Ain't Easy by Michelle Pagliero, of course, from Montreal. And on the phone with us in Montreal is Canaccord Genuity's portfolio strategist, Martin Robage. Martin, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, good afternoon to you as well. Uh, Martin, uh, tell us on a Friday afternoon, uh, of course the show is airing Saturday here, but uh, on this Friday afternoon recording here with you, uh, what is taking place in the office in Montreal? Right now? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, it's very busy because, as you know, uh, we are celebrating in Montreal the 375th anniversary, so it's uh, crowded with uh, tourists. Uh, even though the, the weather is not that great and uh, uh, probably as bad as it was in Toronto uh, yesterday, uh, you see a lot of people walking around in the streets and enjoying the various uh, events uh, that are uh, promoted by the uh, city of Montreal uh, over the weekend. So uh, uh, pretty busy and a lot of, uh, of atmosphere. A lot of fun. In 375 years. Would never have guessed. Uh, congratulations. It sounds like a wonderful celebration. So with the Canadian dollar uh, being down here, what is it, around 74 cents, uh, are you going to be seeing a lot of American tourists coming up? Yes, and this is basically uh, what we're seeing uh, all over the place. And actually, I was kind of shocked. Like this morning, I uh, went to see a client, and uh, somebody was walking out of, uh, of a hotel, and, uh, was, uh, and, and he was like uh, uh, asking the valet, uh, person to get his, his car, and uh, he tipped him by tipped him like by giving ten like ten dollars. So obviously for for him it's not that much now. But I was just surprised to see like uh, uh, how many Americans are around and are spending money in 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 the city right now. And you know it's not uh, very often that you you can you can enjoy like a twenty five percent discount. <laughs> and also don't forget like most of the the, the hotel rooms, the food is already a lot cheaper than elsewhere in the world. So, uh, no, 75 uh, do- uh, cents is uh, obviously uh, a, gr- a great uh, uh, marketing uh, vehicle for, for, uh, for the city of Montreal. So the weak currency is obviously good for tourism there, as you said, Martin. How about uh, your projections? Is it going to continue? Are we going to see more weakness, or do you expect uh, some strengthening in the loony in the, uh, the weeks and uh, months to come? Yeah, there, there, there could be a, a, what we call a counter-trend bounce uh, uh, because um, global investors have been um, uh, selling this, uh, this Canadian dollar short. Um, and all the spe- speculators, most speculators have ganged, like, ganged up on the Canadian dollar on, 
selling short those the the, the, the loony. And as a result, like it seems like uh, positions are are skewed uh, too much on the negative side. So we could see uh, over the next few few weeks uh, a, a tactical or temporary rebound as uh, speculators cover the these short positions. But uh, the path of of least resistance remains down probably until the Bank of Canada uh, hikes uh, interest rates uh, next year, uh, and uh, and and then obviously we 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 have to get uh, uh, enjoy a stronger Canadian economy as well. And right now, like we're kind of a, in limbo while uh, we we are enjoying some uh, some uh, some improvement in terms of of uh, commodity prices and business investments uh, on the house, housing side, as, as we all know, things are getting a little bit more challenging here. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw an article in Bloomberg, uh, Jack sent it to me a couple of days ago and said uh, uh, a lot of the real estate uh, frenzy has, has, has petered off pretty quickly um, in, in the major centers, primarily Toronto, of course, uh, and that uh, people are walking away. I find this hard to believe, but walking away from some deposits uh, for fear that they're, they purchase at the top. Uh, can you comment on that? Well, I don't know that because I, I, I am I'm a Montrealer and uh, uh, I don't have the same sensitivity that you you guys may have to the the, the, the Toronto market. But one thing I can certainly corroborate is the fact that this uh, this um, housing frenzy is moving east uh, very fast. Uh, we've seen uh, uh, more transactions uh, in Montreal. Uh, especially like Westmount, like the uh, upper areas or the, uh, the, the the very wealthy areas of Montreal, enjoying more transactions. And uh, the surtax in Vancouver and then Toronto is is uh, uh, forcing um, foreign investors probably to look uh, east for for better deals. And it seems like um, uh, we we're going to be probably seeing some more real estate activity here. Uh, and uh, uh, like uh, I'm not, I'm not sure that we're we're going to uh, see the same price uh, increases uh, because there there's uh, there's more supply. But uh, but obviously this uh, housing frenzy is moving from uh, western to eastern Canada. Mm-hmm. Martin, uh, look, we have to make some money here, uh, so I want you to stay tuned because I, I got some more questions to ask you about lumber stocks and energy stocks, and uh, is it better to invest? in Canada or across the pond. Uh, So stay tuned. More great show coming up right after this on Hi-Fi Radio, AM 640. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM 640 studios in Toronto. Welcome back to Hi-Fi Radio. If you have any questions about today's show or financial questions you need answered, go to WolfgangKlein.com. And now, back to the show. Here's Wolfgang and Jack. And yes, indeed, we do have to welcome Jack Hartle back to the show. You were missed last week, Jack. Uh, And I will tell you, uh, Mike 
Bellamy got very comfortable in that chair of yours. Uh, in fact, so much so he even brought his friend Ali in uh, this week to, to hang with us. Uh, so it's great to have you back there, Jack. Uh, but uh, Martin Reberge, uh, quant strategist, Canaccord Genuity, is on the line in Montreal celebrating 300. And, and I, but when does the official uh, date of the uh, uh, party uh, take place, Martin? Is it tomorrow? No. Uh, I, I actually, we've seen some celebrations, but I know that the peak season will begin around Canada, Canada Day on July the 1st. Season. So, so you, this 375th anniversary, this is just turning into a season. It's not a day. It's not a week. It's, it's, well, it's so French Canadian. I love I it. I know it's good. It's, it's good. Don't need to apologize for it. Party on. It's a summer celebration. It's a summer celebration. Exactly. <laughs> That's why you're hard to get on the phone sometimes, pal. I'll tell you. Uh, not on a Friday afternoon. <laughs> so uh, let's get exciting here. Let's talk about energy and lumber and uh yeah, we're talking housing up here in Canada being, uh, you know, perhaps a little frothy. Um, south of the border, lots of activity taking place with home building. Uh, speak to that, Martin. you got some good numbers on uh, housing activity in the United States and why it's a good thing for Canadian lumber stocks, despite Donald Trump's threats. Yeah, the, 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 don't forget that the, we have in the U.S. a lot of lobbyists, home, home builders lobbyists, uh, urging... Uh, um, the the Trump administration to uh, re- probably re- revisit their their, their uh, view on on the this U.S. Uh, uh, lumber uh, uh, trade agreement. Um, we like we are in a short supply of of uh, single family homes in in the U.S. I think the level of inventories are down to two million units. This is almost a record low. So we need new homes, and as as we all know, like a a, a, a big portion of of, of the lumber and cheap lumber is coming from Canada, and uh, without that lumber uh, from Canada, uh, U.S. lumber prices will will uh, will will keep rising and put more pressure on uh, home builders uh, eating their margins. So so we 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 need Canadian lumber f- to continue flowing down to the U.S. and that's why we've had a positive view on Canadian lumbers. Mm-hmm. And as long as we don't uh, see a spike. Uh, above uh, 400 uh, U.S. dollar, um, I, I believe that it's not going to squeeze the margins of uh, U.S. home builders, and these uh, companies will uh, and should continue to do relatively well. Demand is not a, a one-year um, uh, situation; like it's a multi-year theme. Yeah, long cycle. And, and uh, I think like we are early in the uh, in, in the game and as far as home builders are concerned. Yeah, hey, help me out, Martin. Uh, just a quick, quick data point here. Uh, I quote oil, I quote gold, I can quote the Canadian dollar, but lumber trades in what thousand board feet? Uh, and what is the current price of a thousand board feet of lumber? It's it's, uh, it's around three sixty right now. Three sixty. How do you put that on the roof of your car? With that? How would you put that on the roof of your car? I don't know. <laughs> I. Mean, I, I Come on, you're, you're French. Get it delivered. French Come on. He's got that figured out. <laughs> Get it delivered. <laughs> <laughs> could Uber do it? I don't know. I wonder if Uber could solve know. that problem. I'm sure they got a truck. Yeah, sure. Well, you need you need a, a few trucks probably. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Toll tree. Ta- I was say, talking about Trump, talking about taxes. Are you modeling in any tariff, any bat tax in any of uh, your projections there, Martin? Uh, no, not really. Investors have to be aware that there will be more barking. Uh, at the end of the day, it's more barking than actual, like... Um, He's not going to bite you? Uh, it's not going to bite you a whole lot, because if, if you look at Canada... I can't, I can't picture have... Donald Trump barking. He just doesn't seem like a barker to me. Uh, we have a trade deficit with the U.S., but only about, like, $11 billion. Right. Uh, and half of it is energy, and half of it is uh, auto-related. So if he 
if he, he bites on, on the energy and, uh, and auto, like he, he's, got, he's got to be very easy with the other uh, sectors uh, of the economy in Canada. And, and we know that he wants to do maybe something on, on energy and, and, and auto-related uh, tariffs. But outside of that, like uh, we're not like Japan, Germany, and China, which represent 80% of the U.S. trade deficit. So we're very small in the whole scheme of things for, oh. for, for U.S. So I don't think that he's going to bite uh, a whole lot when it comes to, uh, to you know, setting those, those, those border tax uh, 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 and adjust, adjustments. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that's a strong. In terms of auto, let's stay on that theme now, uh, Martin. Uh, I was long some Magna, long some General Motors, uh, came out of a presentation with you, and I such took those names off the table. Uh, so, again, explain to the audience uh, where you believe we are in the auto cycle and why, although auto stocks look very cheap trading at six, seven times earnings, uh, no matter which ones, Honda, Volkswagen, um, you, you go down the list, these auto stocks are trading at very, very low multiples. Yeah. But, again, do you want to buy them when they're cheap and sell them when they're expensive or vice versa? Yeah, th- there's a concept of what we call value traps. Yeah. Sometimes it happens because we are entering a long down cycle, which is exactly what we are seeing in the U.S. Um, investors must be aware that the boom in car sales we've seen over the last couple of years has been um, fueled by uh, very easy lending standards. Uh, and uh, pretty much like everybody like was able to get an old loan in the U.S. as long as, long as you could uh, prove that you're, you're a worker, uh, you were getting like very uh, easy conditions to get to get an auto loan, and and that I I don't, I believe that in my, we may have borrowed on future sales, and uh, the result now is that the banks are facing some delin- delinquency uh, or bad loans, and now they are slowing down their lending to not take provisions, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and as a result, we've seen a net decline. In uh, in auto uh, auto sales, and I believe this is just the the beginning of of a at least a, a, a cyclical downturn. And as a result, uh, the these stocks look cheap on on an earnings basis. But what if the the earnings are, are inflated uh, using wrong assumptions about auto sales? Mm-hmm. And so that's my view. Like I think people should be taking out. But t- 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 taking some profits on the table and recycling that money elsewhere in the market. Fair enough. In the interest of time, we're going to have to bring you back on the show here, Martin. And more importantly, you have a celebration, a seasonal celebration to participate in. So please do not drink and drive. And I want to thank you again for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Coming up next, we got a millionaire plan for a millennial. Stay tuned. Money. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. That's what I want. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 Studios in Toronto. That's what I want. Well, I'm on my way to the city lights To the pretty face that shines her light Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, AM640, a little sweet, sweet, sweet city woman by the Stampeters. 
And the purpose of that music, of course, is for our very good friend and millennial, Allie Adams. Welcome back to the show, Allie. Thank you all. Thanks for having me. So we brought along, of course, Michael Bellamy to present the plan. We need a plan for Allie. And, uh, of course, Jack Hartle has some wonderful input on the plan. The million dollar plan, Allie. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jack part's going to be a lot of fun. So anyway, so, so, so let's go. So the, look, Allie, you're on the show last week. Uh, we chat in the office. You said, well, how can I become wealthy and how can I do it? It's tough. I live in a big city. My rent's so expensive. I have trouble saving money and I need some new shoes. And I like my shoes. So <laughs> can I do it, Wolf? And I said, you can, but it's going to have to be some sacrifices. So Mike worked very hard, uh, hours on end, uh, crunching numbers, tumbling numbers, going through your budgets and all of your personal belongings just to find out how you can do it. So over to you, Mike. Yeah. So we started to look at, um, you know, there's kind of a multi-step thing. So we looked at first cash flow and looked at current savings. So we ran a current plan based on Allie's current savings to see when she would become a millionaire. And based on current savings, um, you know, we put in a few factors. We had a 7% return rate on investments. Um, we increased her current savings by 4.5% each year, assuming income increases as she goes and how, along. And how much, how much a month or uh, per annum, dollar, dollar-wise? Uh, about 100 a month right now. Saving $100 a month? Yeah. Okay. So factoring in all those things, by Allie's age 65, she essentially became a millionaire at that point. By saving a hundred dollars a month, yep, at seven percent, increasing by four and a half percent each year. And, and so, in the final year, how much would you put in? Mike, do you have that number? I do not have a couple hundred bucks, maybe three hundred bucks in the end. Yeah, right. So, by over age sixty-five, she had one point eight three. A hundred dollars wow. a month. Yeah. How simple is that? Easy. You can you can panhandle that money, Allie. <laughs> I can panhandle that in about three hours. <laughs> You got a squeegee? <laughs> this is not hard. We're doing a show. I don't. Jack, what do, what do you have to say about this? Well, I mean, you can you can look at it, Allie, and see uh, opportunity. Yep. Right. Uh, but it's a challenge, right? It's not easy to save an extra hundred bucks, is it? I think it would be easy. Okay. So where are you going to find the savings? Um, perhaps I will eat out less, or take Ubers less. I take a lot of Ubers. Okay. Mm-hmm. Bring your lunch to work. That's probably a bit of a stretch, Jack. Michael, sorry, you're you're saying all she has to save is a hundred dollars a month. Yes, not on top of that. That's it. Which she could do easily by bringing her lunch in, and you can spend everything you make, basically. Perfect. So this is not so now. But if we got real about this, Allie, yes, let me be real about this. That's a hundred bucks a month. Come on, come on. No, if we got real about this, if we, you know, relocated you perhaps into the beaches, as opposed to you living in the core. The beach is a nice area. You you could probably save. Three, four, five hundred bucks a month. Your square footage may probably be the same, but it may not be on the same level. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be a basement. I know you got visions of basement apartment, Allie. I will I don't not know. live in a basement. I, I, you're, you're, you're a tall lady. You'd probably bang your head a bit. Exactly. Uh, see, I, I can do it. I'm short. I could, I could do basements. Like, not too short. Six foot. Six foot. I could barely get through. But, uh, but can you? So if, if we like save five hundred bucks a month, Michael. I guess you well, multiply the number by five, she becomes five millionaire. Well, even if you look at the lunch, going back to the lunch thing, you do ten dollars a day. That's almost $2,500 a year right there you spend on lunch at work. You know, there, there is a moral to the story because what, what makes this work for Allie Adams is she's young. Right? Allie is a young millennial. Uh, if Allie were to come to us at age 60 and say, okay, guys, I want to start saving 100 bucks a month to 65, you got a problem. So, so the I'd say that the most important thing, Wolf, is the fact that she just has to get started. I think that's what you're saying, right? You're young, get started. Get started early. Yeah, absolutely. You have to correct. You, you must start young. I started when I was 23. As soon as and I left I was going to say, the market's expensive right now. It doesn't matter. 
the fact that she's going to dollar cast the average in over the years, the fact that you're saving, you actually want the market to fall as long as you're buying good quality assets because they're going to appreciate over time. You just buy good quality assets on sale. You like sales, right, Ali? I love a good sale. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but, but that is true. You know, you know, the thing about real estate, Ali, you buy a house today. That is the price. You put the pin in the entire investment. Because you're, you're going to buy one house. You're not going to buy 10 houses. Perhaps you do over time. But that is the price. Whereas when you're buying airline stocks, for example, uh, you can dollar cost average. You buy 50 shares this month. You buy another 50 shares next next month, et cetera, et cetera. And so the same with the broad marketplace. So if the market falls by 30%, which it will do at some point down the road, uh, continue to invest. And that's where people make the big mistakes. This is where retail blows it. They tend to buy at the top and sell at the bottom for fear and for psychological reasons, which are very, very steeply rooted in, in, in um, behavior finance and more importantly, just, just the way the markets work. So as rational as markets are, we bring analysts on to talk about income statements and balance sheets. My friend, psychology supersedes all that when you know what hits the fan. That's very true, Wolfgang. The fact that uh... You know, you look at the markets, if you're buying a, a broad basket of diversified assets, good quality assets, I think you mentioned earlier in the week, uh, over a 10-year period, that, that broad basket has not fallen. No no, no 10-year rolling period where you lost money in, in, in investing in equities. So, so, Michael, what else can we do for Ali? Like, like we, we turn into a millionaire uh, by, 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 me, by being a... Could you be a squeegee kid to become a millionaire? <laughs> it's unbelievable. Uh, so, so what else can we do for Ali? So we started to look at some other options for her. So we, you know, talking to you, Wolf, we decided, you know, let's see what it looks like if you know, Allie did lower her rent to say a thousand dollars a month. This is gonna be great in in the beaches, of yeah. course, um, in a basement. Um, so at this point, we'd had her saving a thousand dollars a month. Oh boy! So everything was the exact same. Mm-hmm. You know, still the four and a half percent increase each year, seven percent return on the investments, and essentially by age fifty. Ali was now a millionaire. 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. The a first million is your hardest, too, Wolf. And you oh, the yeah. first million is your hardest. The second And when would the second hard. one arrive, uh, Michael? Yeah, so that, you know, right to that fact. Good by, point. by age 60, or no, sorry, by age 58, Ali was at 2 million. So, so at age 50, she had a, a Milski? Yep. 58, two Milskis? And by 65, 3.7 million. And is she still living in the basement apartment? <laughs> Not. No, no, she's out of the basement apartment. Now of she course owns she the is. house. Yes. Right? She probably she, owns a couple houses at this point in time. Exactly. And big closets, lots of room for some of your items. Yes. Juice, yeah. And going back to the last show, too, we were talking about compounding. It's and when you're looking at the numbers. So by Ali's age 40, she's up 177,000 over the other plan. Mm-hmm. By age 50, 636,000. Age 60, 1.7 million. Unbelievable. Allie, we knew you could do it. Honestly, this is great. Isn't this great? Are you going to execute the plan and save 100 bucks I've a month? I've already started, Wolf. <laughs> 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 Allie Adams, my friends, Hi-Fi Radio, AM640. Warren Buffett has loathed airline stocks for 100 years. <laughs> Almost. But he has all of a sudden gotten on the, shall I say, bandwagon. In the studio next, analyst Doug Taylor Canaccord to discuss with us aerospace and aerospace stocks right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the show, iFi Radio AM 640. Going to talk airline stocks. Doug Taylor, analyst, Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Thank you very much, Doug, for joining us. Thanks for having me. On the show. Yeah. So, you know, aviation, as a little boy, I was fascinated by flight. Uh, I wasn't a big guy. I didn't play football. Uh, but I did make airplanes, model airplanes. I was fascinated by them, little propeller ones, little uh, .049 type of fuel you put in them, spin them, made a lot of noise, uh, lots of fun. Uh, my kid plays hockey uh, up at Scotia Pond uh, to Havland uh, Air Base. Um, again, lots of history up there in, in the neighborhood where I grew up with in Toronto. I, I just knew a lot of parents who worked at De Havilland and uh, just wonderful, wonderful history in not many sectors of the Canadian economy, but aviation is one. I think Canada absolutely nails. Look, history of aviation in Canada begins with the first manned flight in a balloon at St. John, New Brunswick, 1840. Like, this is good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So now Warren Buffett ha- has dissed airline stocks for many reasons. And I've actually been in this camp for a long time. Tough business, expensive. Airplanes are worth, what, $300 million for that new Boeing airplane. 300 million bucks to buy, $300 million. Allie, uh, our millennial, wants to get to a million hundred bucks a month, they'll do it for her. But lots of capital involved. Fuel prices, huge part of the the equation. So boom bust in a good economy, the sector makes a lot of money. In a bad economy, it's hurt a lot of investor time and time and time again. Uh, So tell us, why is now the time, and why are these airline stocks doing so well, and why is now the time to continue to remain long airlines? Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, I think everyone's seen, as you say, Buffett uh, investing significantly in not just uh, an airline, but really all of the major uh, U.S. airlines, at least the network airlines. And I think, you know, what he's seeing and what uh, we have seen in it over the last, uh, I guess, this cycle. I mean, first of all, uh, the stigma around airlines negatively really stems from, I mean, you, you look back over the last 20 or 30 years, you see... You know, when it was going well, it was going very well. But when it was going poorly, you're looking at insolvency and Chapter 11 bankruptcy. And what we're at now is, I think, the uh, investor or the management of these airlines has taken is much more focused now on returns through the cycle and on being profitable even in a in an economic downturn. They're trying to smooth the business cycle. They're trying to smooth it out. Uh, a lot more focus on, you know, and not to get technical, but returns on invested capital, um, things like that. And, and I think if you've been on an airplane recently, you've seen some of the things that they've done to squeeze a little bit more out of, you know, each aircraft in terms of the number of seats, things like I heard charge. Ryanair once uh, asked the association if they can remove the seats and allow passengers to stand. I kid you not. Uh, I think they want to take abs- out the windows too. <laughs> no joke. They talked about removing or charging yeah. people for the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, no joke. Uh-huh. And and they're so and that I mean that's what we call an ultra Talk about low a captive cost. audience, eh? <laughs> <laughs> that's what I mean that's a model that's referred to as an ultra low cost carrier model and it has is one that's been very successful but if essentially unbundling the entire uh, air travel experience and then layering on you've got a, a, a rock bottom fare you I mean sometimes it costs you less to fly from you know london oh you want to wear shoes on this flight so that's <laughs> going to cost you an extra three dollars yeah or it, it costs you more to take a cab to the airport than it does to take the flight to you know the next country over um and which is i mean really stimulated a lot of of demand and that's certainly been a uh, something new in the aircraft industry over the last 20 years and that's a, it's a model people are looking to replicate You've seen uh, Spirit Airlines in the U.S. come 
along with the you know virtually the same model and now in in Canada you've got both new entrants and you know there's some changes in policy to help attract investment new entrants with these ultra low cost models Canada Jetlines uh, So you're talking about low cost how about uh, WestJet I guess going the other way now Well so they're going both a- ways to be honest cuz I mean in, in the space of a month they announced both that they're buying as uh, Wolfgang said these 300 million dollar huge uh, Boeing 787 aircraft uh, for transatlantic, transpacific, long-haul flights. And at the same time, they've said that they want to introduce their own ultra-low-cost carrier. To And, and I think that's, a, you know, in an effort to, I mean... Are, are those growth plans going to get disrupted with the unions and the pilots? I mean, uh, it's Forming cert- a union or creating a lot of uncertainty there? I, 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 I believe that that is the case, uh, or at least there is concern that, that those expansion plans will, you know, you're going to need to go through potentially a pilot's union now to get those done. And so that you know, has been formalized. That's going through as far as we know, the, the pilots forming union with, so uh, they, with they said that they, they got for the first time, and this is not the first time that WestJet's faced a unionization movement, right? But, uh, this was the first time that they had the ALPA, which is the large pilots union out of the United States involved. And I believe it was a couple, must be a couple weeks ago now, the uh, ALPA said that they'd secured enough uh, of a vote in uh, secret ballot to trigger uh, a formal union movement. And so, you know, they'll be dealing with that. And there's a couple steps that now take it from where we sit today to, you know, a new collective bargaining agreement. That can often be years. Sure. And are you starting to model that into your projections now, or is that something too far off and too uncertain to even start to model? Yeah, I would say it's it's definitely closer to the the latter. And uh, and what what you got to do is, I mean, it's not just about wages; it's right. flexibility. I mean, obviously, union wants to, you know, control things like pilot flexibility scheduling. And so it's it's not just about wages. And actually, if you look at some data, I mean, WestJet pilots, when you include the profit sharing plan, are paid competitively. So there's right. a lot of moving pieces, and I think it's a little early to say how that's going to drop to the bottom line. Right. We're talking airline stocks on Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Doug Taylor joining us in the studio to share with you all of his wisdom and knowledge on why airline stocks may not be such a bad thing. Coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto. For the love of money, Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein. Talk Radio AM640. Welcome back to the show. Hi-Fi Radio AM640. Doug Taylor, analyst. Extraordinaire Canaccord, covering the airline stocks and a few other very, very interesting companies like McDonald Detweiler. But I want to stay on the airline theme just uh, for a little bit longer. You know, the, the stock market, Doug, trades at a earnings multiple, a P.E. ratio of around 17 times. Uh, airline stocks trade at a P.E. ratio of about four times. Uh, there is a big delta between those two valuations. So, uh the automotive sector I ran away from value trap. Uh, is this perhaps a value trap? You know, trading at four multiple. Uh, some sums up. Like, why are they so cheap? Just, well, just so, are they just that much hated? I, I think it, it is about them starting to appeal to a broader group of investors and people gaining confidence that the earnings profile in a year like this year, where oil prices are low, 
uh, is you know somewhat sustainable, even if oil prices moved higher or the economy softened up a little bit. What so, percentage of the costs is, is fuel? Well, at this price, is, I'd say it's about a quarter of the operating cost. 25% of the operating right. cost is fuel. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know when you're talking about a $100 barrel, it's up to a third. Uh, how good of a job do you think the airlines do at hedging their fuel? I think they do a good job, but you know that space better than I do. Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting topic of discussion because when oil was up in the triple digits, yep. uh, airlines had very little hedging, uh-huh. and they only really started hedging when it was low, which is you know counterintuitive. Of course, you would think you want to you know buy low, sell high. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and Canadian airlines in particular, I mean, you've also got some natural hedge. You got to, you know, the Canadian dollars tied to the oil price, mm-hmm. the economy is particularly for WestJet tied to the oil price. So there's some natural hedge there. Um, WestJet doesn't Correct. hedge. Correct. So oil, oil goes up, Canadian dollar goes up. So Canadian airlines have a natural hedge. American airlines don't. Don't. And right. they have varied hedging policies, but in general, I think they've, they're hedging more now than they did at the peak oil price, which, you know, and, and when they didn't hedge. Or I'm sorry, when they did hedge at peak oil prices, they had to take, had to take large write-downs on those hedge books. How, how much is Air Canada up on the year? Year-to-date return, roughly? Uh, 30% maybe? I would think, you know, we're talking looking at 1750 if not more right now. And it would have been in the, you know, 12, 12 or $13 yeah, 12, dollar yeah. range. Yeah, so so yeah, I think you're in the yeah. right ballpark. Nice. Yeah, because no, all the airlines, uh, Southwest love uh, American Airlines, uh, Alaska Air. Uh, all those, the entire uh, complex, the, the whole is, complex is doing has very, moved very well. higher. And so, so how long has Warren Buffett got? How long has he got? Yeah, I mean, he's not a short-term investor, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a man who hated the airlines, uh, exactly. What, what, what's what, what's what, his what, line? What kind of multiples can you see on these airlines right now? If they're trading at four or five times, maybe six down in the U.S. It depends on which multiple. Uh, and, and, and to be honest, right? earnings. Uh, you, so you're talking about EBITDAR, which right. is the most popular metric. Sure. And yeah, so they're trading at. Uh, a little five or six times Canadian Airlines at a discount mm-hmm. to that. Um, you know, I would say they're they're nearing the peak, but I, you've also got the opportunity for EBITDA to grow right. as well. Um, and for the Canadian Airlines, they're looking to grow that by going international. Is that a fair? Assumption? You expand international. You do what they call you know picking up Sixth Freedom traffic, which is taking somebody who would have you know normally uh, connected through an airport in the U.S. and why don't you connect through one of you know we've got Pearson, Vancouver, Montreal, these big airports. Right. And you know as you know if you look if you know you're sitting in your seat and you look at the way the flight goes to from a place in the US to Europe you're you're going over Canada anyway so you might as well stop here and so that's the kind of you know growth that they're driving when and some of the markets and the new planes that you know the 787 that they're bringing to market they're able to get to Diff, you know, new markets that they weren't able to access before just because of the hardware they had, and that's stimulating traffic. And so that's why you're effectively, they think revenue for the airline industry, a rule of thumb is it can grow at two times GDP. And that's kind of been how it's unfolded for the last, you know, few years, I would say decade sure. or Switch, longer. I would say switching gears a little bit, just looking at the uh, their pensions, Air Canada's pension, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company was insolvent back in 2008. Uh, the pensioners didn't take a haircut, as far as I know. How, how are the pensions uh, funded now? Are they fully, fully up and funded, or is there a yeah? At one point, there? you had a four or five billion dollar, if, if my memory serves, pension deficit. They were able to. It's a lot of money. Uh, yeah, and, and and they did work with the pension to restructure the benefits. That was part of it. 
part of it was making contributions. You'll remember, I mean, and this is Air Canada we're talking about where the, the big pension issue happened. They, you know, did things like spin out Jazz, Chorus Aviation, AMIA, which raised a bunch of money, which helped them to pay down the pension. And it's to the point where it's in a surplus now and they've immunized it. So it's really not the concern that it once was for investors. They've matched the payments now. I could say it's it's not a question I get from the investing community at all anymore. What about the uh, the balance sheet uh, in terms of its debt load? How, yeah, heavy, how still, heavy is that? Still, still fairly high for for Air Canada. If you're talking at uh, let's say two and a half times uh, EBITDA, um, most of the U.S. players would be lower than that. WestJet is lower than that, but they're going in different directions right now. Air Canada's Coming got down. a target of getting that to 2.2 times by mm-hmm. the end of 2018. Uh, and certainly with the way that their CapEx plan is, it would be going lower after that. I want to switch gears here, guys, gears here with you. Uh, talk about, again, another c- c- company in Canada, McDonnell Detweiler out of Montreal. Uh, again, a lot of history with this company. Again, Canadian history, which I like, um, and specifically around the Canada space arm. But uh, very different business today. And again, in the interest of time, give, give us the, the quick skinny on, on, on MDA. Yeah, as you say, it's a company with a rich history and and almost con- you know connected with almost everything Canada's done in space over its history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Canada Arm, you mentioned, they've got contributions to the International Space Station. A lot of uh, you know very interesting satellite technology. The Radar Sat program mm-hmm. being the one uh, they're involved with with most these days, and 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 use that position and leverage that to become um, and acquire one of the larger communication satellite manufacturers in the world. And they're in the midst of, you know, their latest acquisition, a company called Digital Globe, of another very interesting technology uh, and platform for Earth observation, uh, which is something MDA has been involved in. So, I mean, they've, they've, they've taken their, their view is now, you know, outside of Canada and servicing the Canadian government. And it's a much bigger and, and will be much more diverse company uh, once, you know, if they can mm-hmm. complete this acquisition of Digital Globe. And, and quickly, um, they're, they're, they basically got the, the, the passcode to American intelligence when it comes to military because they're not getting involved with some of those contracts. Yeah, so I mean, part of the recent, you know, certainly when they bought, it was called Space Systems for SSL, which is in Palo Alto, a very large and sophisticated manufacturing facility for communication satellites, but typically to commercial customers is is, had been the the heritage of what they sold. And there was an opportunity to take some of MDA's technology and a very rich technology, Earth observation, robotics, things like that, combined with. SSL's manufacturing capability and the fact that it's a you know a U.S. manufacturing facility, and and take that position and try and penetrate the U.S. government, which is you know just like many industries is the biggest buyer of this kind of technology, and so they're they've made had to make some changes around um, holding companies, proxy boards, things like that, and they're just at the end of. Uh, of doing that now in hopes of starting to penetrate and get into that flow of classified government satellite works, you know, that kind of thing. Good for them. Good for them. Doug, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show. I want to thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio AM 640. Coming up after the break, Ron Meisel's Phases and Cycles. He's going to teach us a little bit more about my friend, Elliot Wave, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show right after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from the AM640 studios in Toronto.
Welcome back to the show, iFi Radio on AM640. Little Men Without Hats, Safety Dance. So keeping as we join Ron Meisels in Montreal. And I want to say happy birthday to Montreal, 375 years young. Are you partying like you're 16, Ron? Oh, like I lie. Yeah, that is correct. It's been a few years since then, but uh, I feel like 16, yeah. Well, good for you. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show. So, Ron, um, I, I, it slipped my mind, and I'm glad last week you, you reminded me. So much of your work is based around Elliott Wave? Well, uh, the much of uh, uh, my planning and, no, and knowing where the market is, is based on the Elliott Wave. That's uh- Fair enough. So can, can you try to educate myself and the audience uh, on Elliott Wave theory, uh, what it's based on, and, 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 and really what the, the notion is behind it? Well, there was a gentleman called Elliott back in the 20s who examined the market's behavior and found that there is a kind of a plan or a system that is, uh, is, uh, relates to all market moves. Uh, and bull markets, uh, which we are in, consists of five legs, one, two, three, four, five, uh, where the one and the three and the five are moving up and the two and the four are corrected for this, for the current market. And the leg one always starts when the bear market finishes, when the markets are at the point where everybody threw away their good stock, like in May 9, 2009. And then the market rose from about 7,500 7, to about 12,200 by May 11, at a correction of about 1,000 points. And then from there, in May 11th, about 12,000, uh, 12, the market got up to 18,000, a little above that, by May uh, 15th. You're talking, sorry, you're talking about the Dow, correct? The Dow, correct. And then we had the year of of, uh, of May, 16, May, uh, May 15th to about uh, February of 16, uh, there was a correction, which was like four. And then since then, we are in like five. Now, I look at this as a plan of you would make to travel from Toronto to Montreal. So if you say I'm going to leave Toronto, I should be in, in, in Oshawa, given the right time, in about an hour. If I'm not there in about an hour because I had an accident, too much traffic, whatever, then that means that I'm not going to be in Kingston in two hours later. I'm not going to be in Montreal by, uh, say, six hours later. So we have a plan to see how long the travel should take, and we can and we always examine whether we're on the right road or not. And we, exa- and we find the right turning points based on Elliott, when the market gets too exuberant at the end of leg one or three or five, or when the market becomes totally oversold at the end of leg two or, or four. Mm-hmm. So, so, so based on uh, these phases, which one are we in right now then? We are, according to my estimate, we are in leg five, which began in February of 2016. February 20. So how long, how long do you think that can last? Uh Probably uh, we we have we are approaching uh, maybe you could say we're near Cornwall. We're not yet in Montreal. <laughs> uh, we should possibly possibly be in like five for the rest of this year and potentially the early part of next year. Okay, so then what would happen, uh, Ron? Well, when we get to the end of like five, which is like which is <coughs> design, which is. Um, uh, described uh, or pointed out uh, when the market gets to so such an exuberant 
point as the family or you say when the fat lady sings or <laughs> when the driver is giving tips and everybody and everybody and everybody's bullish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an unloved bull market right now, that's for sure, Ron. I'm sorry? It's, it's an, an, un- no. it's an unloved it's bull market, Jack said. We are not there yet. Yeah, we're not. Look, Ron, we're going to keep bringing you back because I want to learn more about Elliott Wave. You, you think very differently from the other strategists and, and technicians that I bring on, and that's why I like you. Ron Meisel's Phases and Cycles, a real pleasure, and I want to wish you a wonderful weekend. Uh, I want to thank my good friend DJ Lazy Ray for setting up the tunes for Hi-Fi Radio today. Fantastic production work. Luke Cameron, real pleasure to have you on the big board. And, of course, Jack is back in the saddle. Oh, my good Lord. Hi-Fi Radio is back at it. Uh, uh, folks, have yourself a great weekend. we got another great show coming up for you next week. Don't forget to tune in, and thank you. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. For the podcast of today's show, go to 640Toronto.com. New shows every week. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.